start thinking about his name and who he is and the power that comes from that name, there's nothing greater, nothing at all. Well, this morning we are going to veer off of the book of First John. So if you already turned there, turn over to the book of Titus. The reason for this is because I want to share with you the calling of a pastor. But before we jump into the book of Titus, let me give you a quick history of my life here at this church. Um, And where we're going to go this morning going to be a little different. We've never done something like this before. But um, just let me share a little bit with you. I mean, just want, I, I just thought I needed to share all this. I, I, I've, been, I've been at this church since July of 1987. That's 27 years for those of you guys who are trying to do the math. Um, 27 years I've been at this church and I've been in different aspects of leadership for over 25 years at the church here. I've been on the board of directors for over 20 years. I've been teaching in different capacities um, for over, for about 20 to 25 years from just, you name it. I, I've, I've been able to teach a lot of the different things from the, the, the um, prison ministries to singles group, to men's groups, to the youth group, to in here, you know, just different areas. In, in June of 1998, I was ordained as one of the pastors here to serve as a youth pastor. And in July of 1999, that's a long time ago, I left my job um, of plastering pools. I, I used to plaster swimming pools. For 22 years, and I loved every bit of it. I loved plastering pools, and I loved my, my job. And yet, in 1999, July of 1999, I plastered basically my last pool, and I came on staff. So now I have like sissy hands, you know? They're not calloused. Ugh. <laughs> but I came on staff, and ever since then, I, I've been, this is, this is where I work. This is what I get to do. I get to to minister. And so at the end of 2007, though, I took on more of an assistant pastor's role when our assistant pastor, Gary Malkus, who had been here before me, um, he, he uh, the, they needed a pastor over at Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley, and Gary Malkus went over there and took over the church at Calvary Chapel, Apple Valley. At the same time, I, I, I became, I took more of his role that he was doing here, administrative work, and, and just assisting Pastor Larry more and more, and still all the while still being the youth pastor and teaching our youth at the same time. Then about three years ago, almost three years ago, January of 2012, our pastor, Pastor Larry Anderson, who had served for 24 years as our pastor, became our pastor emeritus. He, uh, he retired, basically, still keeping the title of a pastor. And now he serves as the pastor to pastors in a ministry called Poeman Ministries. And he goes and helps other 
other churches and other uh, pastors and stuff. And it was then that I took on another role. (laughs) After that, I took on the role of the pastor of this church. A role that I never sought after. (laughs) I never sought after that. I I just... I've seen way too many senior pastors, man. They get gray quick. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, I know. But just like every other role that the Lord has allowed me to do, I love. I absolutely love doing this. <laughs> this the, what I get to do on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights is just like this much of what ministry is all about. This is like the cherry on top, you know. Um, what I do throughout the week and, and other stuff is just phenomenal. And so what I get to do here, man, I absolutely love. Now understand that there wasn't much of a change that would be taking place when the transition happened from Pastor Larry to myself. I wasn't the new kid on the block that was coming in, you know, vying for position or or trying out for this position. Um, I I had been here longer than Pastor Larry. He got here in 88. I got here in 87. About eight months earlier, I got here before he did. And so everything was in order when, when I took over. But when I took over in 2012, it was in about those two first weeks or so that as I was praying, I made one phone call, one phone call only to somebody to tell them, to tell them what was going on. I called a brother to let him know what was, what was happening and he was now at a different church. And I called him to ask him if he would pray about coming back and serving alongside of me. I had a great bunch of guys already with me, and they're still with me today. Great bunch of guys. But for some reason, I couldn't stop praying about making this phone call and calling this guy. And so when I did, I told him that it was only him that I I would call. I wasn't calling anybody else. Hey, I took over. I'm the big cheese now. Come on over. Nothing like that. Just this this gentleman. And I really couldn't offer him anything at all. You know, I, I didn't, I, I told him, I don't even know why I'm calling you, only you, except that you're a good friend of mine and I love you. And I think I need somebody like you with me. And so after about a month or so, I emailed Gary Poor to find out what the Lord was telling him. And a couple of days later, he called and he, he told me what the Lord had been confirming in his heart or had confirmed in his heart that he was to come and serve and come alongside of me and do whatever needed he needed to do. <laughs> Which brings us to this morning and the reason why we are changing things up. Because this morning, at the end of the service, we're going to lay hands on Gary um, to ordain him. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> We're going to ordain him as one of our pastors here. Um, <laughs> didn't think it was going to be this. Really? Yeah, yeah, me crying. Yeah, I know. I didn't think I was going to cry, but geez. Um, so again, um, we, we, we've been praying for I mean, I know that. We could have just ordained him at our last board meeting when, you know, because we've been, we've been praying about this for about a year. 
you know, and, and just to make sure God was totally in this whole thing. And we could have ordained him at our last board meeting, but he wanted the attention. <laughs> he, he, he's like, no, you get me a robe, you get me a hat, you get me whatever I need. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it has truly been a humbling time for all of us, for all of our board. And and, uh, just as we've been praying all year long for Him and for our church. And so take heart that um, we're we're doing this with all seriousness. And we wouldn't do this unless Gary was already doing the role. We just don't give titles out just like, hey, man, why don't you like do this? Now this is what you got to do. He's been doing all this. He's come alongside of me and he's 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 been there for 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 me and for us as a church and everything's been going great. And so that's why we're here this morning and that's why we're changing things up. But before we do all of that, I want to share with you out of Titus chapter one the role of a pastor or the calling of a pastor. And so beginning in verse 1, we'll go to verse 9 and we'll cover from 5 to 9 this morning. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, has in due time manifested His Word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason... I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless. As a steward of God, not self-willed, quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict." (laughs) Going back to verse 5 where we'll start off. Crete was and still is an island in the middle of the Great Sea, which is known today as the Mediterranean Sea. Paul says that he left Titus there. And it's hard to exactly know when Paul spent some time in this island of Crete. And when it was that he left Titus there. In Acts 27, we we know that he was on his way to Rome the first time. 
and he had to stop or make a stop on the island of Crete because of the bad weather that was happening there. But it doesn't tell us that he spent any significant amount of time there or that he started any kind of churches there. It was just a time that he had to stop before heading over to Rome. And it, it, it tells us that, that, well, and we know that Titus wasn't even with them at that time in Acts 27. But the book of Acts finishes with Paul getting to Rome the first time. And it is quite possible that it was in between that time that when, that when Paul uh, went back to Rome the second time, in between there, because the book of Acts finishes with his, his, his time in Rome the first time. And there's still a lot more ministry left in Paul's life that he would go back the second time. So it's quite possible that it is in that time that he may have spent some time in Crete with Titus. Again, nothing is ever mentioned about Paul starting the church or churches there on that island of Crete. But he had the authority, Paul did, to set things in order in the churches that were there somehow. It is quite possible that Paul had to leave the island of Crete when he, when he was there in a hurry, which wasn't out of the ordinary for, for Paul. And that's why he left Titus there. If that is true, Titus answered the call. He was put in a situation where Paul says, I am leaving you here to place things in order, to make sure things are taken care of. We know that Paul had also sent Titus to the city of Corinth to fix things there and to set things in order there as well. We really, again, don't know when Paul left or how he left, but we knew or we know that that the calling, he knew the calling that was on Titus's life. Somehow he knew that this young man who was a son in the faith to him, that there was a calling in his life and that he would be the man to go and set things in order, to take care of things, to oversee things. Paul knew that about this young man. This young man had a proven character. And there was a consistency in his life, in his walk and in his maturity in the Lord. And so Paul knew that. He saw that in him. When we hear of a calling, we sometimes automatically think of into the ministry. And it is that, to have a calling into the ministry. But before there is ever a calling into the ministry, there is a calling into fellowship with Jesus before anything else. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are all called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. All of us. We are called to be in fellowship, in communion with Him, in the intimacy relationship with Him. We are all called to that. And in that we are all called to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In Ephesians 4.1, we are all called to walk worthy of a calling that He has called us with. And so I believe that we are all called to minister. 
God has entrusted to each believer, not just the pastor, but He has entrusted into each believer the Word of God, the Gospel, the good news. And so I believe that we are all called to share it in one way or another, whether behind a pulpit or out in the streets or at your job, especially your home, that you would live that life. So we're all called to minister. But not all are called to be pastors. Titus answered the call to oversee. He answered the call that he had been called to. And God used the Apostle Paul to encourage that calling. And God has not changed the way he does those kinds of things. God is the one that calls. But He uses men to see that calling or to confirm that calling in people's lives. It's no different back then as it is today. You see, the Apostle Paul also saw the calling in Timothy's life. And so both Timothy and Titus were now going to be encouraging others of the calling that they saw in their lives. Timothy was to raise up elders in Ephesus. Titus would be setting things in order and appointing or anointing elders in every city of Crete. So it's no different today that God uses men to encourage callings in people's lives. Now, I, I, I know, man, you could go on the internet and become a pastor anytime you want. Just pay a certain amount of money. Gary's paying me good money for this. <laughs> Believe you me. I'm kidding. But you, anybody can be ordained. Anybody can, can, can say, hey man, I, I want to be a pastor. I want to do weddings. I want to do this. I want to do that or whatever. And, and you can go on with your bad self and go on the internet and do that. But that's not what we want to do here, man. We want to know that this is what God has always wanted in our lives. And with fear and trembling, we've come before Him. And I'm not the only one that's making this decision. I have a great bunch of guys on my board that we have been praying to make sure it's just not me that says, hey, I want Gary. Most of them say, we don't want him. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got to keep it lighter, Ross. I'm going to be crying this whole time. This is is emotional for me, man. But, but, But God uses men, godly men, to encourage callings. When we are called or when we are willing to answer the call, when our master calls upon us and we are willing, then he will put us in places where we could set in order the things that are lacking. He, he will do that work. Man, I understood quick, and that, well, I've, I've understood it for a long time, that, that, that one man cannot do everything. He, he can't. As much as I try, I cannot much as Pastor Larry tried, man, he, he, he had other guys around him that was able to do this. And so it's no easy task. And so there's things that we're lacking even today that Gary has come in and filled because I couldn't fill them. And I'm sure God is going to raise others up as well. But when we are willing to answer the call, our Master will put us in places to set things in order. And I believe that Titus knew what his calling was. And he was ready. He was ready to set things in order that were lacking in the island of Crete, in the churches in Crete. 
Titus's job was not only to set things in order, but to appoint elders. Paul had given him that authority as well. It's like, hey, you're going to be one of the elders here. You, you are one who is going to look for others. God's measure for leadership or for leaders does not fluctuate and it does not change. Whether you're in a big church or a small church, whether you're in a big city or a small town, whichever is the case, God's, God's measuring stick for a pastor does not change. And we need godly people in place of leadership. And it was up to Titus who needed to put these men in place to bring about church order. And that is my responsibility as well here. To put place, pe- put people in place to bring about church order. And I praise God that even though I know my calling and I know what He has called me to do and to be here, I have men around me that I don't have to make that decision by myself because, again, I could be just as selfish as the next guy and I could be just as wrong as the next guy because of my selfishness or my pride. But I have great guys that I, I, I am accountable to, that I, I bounce things off of, that I, that I ask them, hey, what is your opinion? Pray with me in this. Challenge me in this even. <laughs> because I don't want to make this decision by myself, especially something as serious as this. And so, so Titus was to appoint elders. And the word elder is presbyteros. Presbyter, where we get our word Presbyterian from. The word is presbyter or overseer. An elder refers to the man. Overseer refers to the function of the office that he is to do. The word elder can also be translated pastor or bishop. And the word bishop is episcopos. We get our word episcopalian from that. Episcopo, whatever. Episcopos. I have it written down here phonetically and I can still mess it up. But an episcopos is one who oversees. It is the job of the bishop to oversee the flock of God that he has been put in care for. And Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, 2-4. It says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples uh, uh, to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The word pastor also means shepherd. And we we all know (laughs) that a shepherd oversees sheep. He takes good care of his sheep, of the flock. Because he knows that, sh- that, that sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. He makes sure that, that he takes care of the sheep, that he takes them to green pastures, that he gives them good food to chew on and to eat, to digest. Because he cares for them, he protects them, he loves them. And not just any man can be put into this position 
Oh, I, I, I know people can just be thrown into, but not just any man should be put into this position. Not when you're talking about God's precious sheep. Before he answers the call, he must understand and accept that there is a stricter judgment that comes with this position. And not just from the people, because you can be judgmental. (laughs) But there is a stricter judgment that comes from God that he has to answer to. And so again, this this is a serious calling on somebody's life. To answer this call, um, there, there are some qualifications that God is looking for. And Titus was to look for them as well. Now, for the people who are not called to be pastors, you see, there's a responsibility for you too in all of this. For those who are not called to be a pastor, your responsibility, your part is to be looking for and finding a church as you find a church to go to or a pastor to sit under, your responsibility is to make sure that these men are qualified as the Scriptures say. That's your job. Because if, they're, if, if, if you see things that are not in line here, why would you sit under anybody like that? There's a responsibility for all of us. But keep in mind that these qualifications do not equate <laughs> to perfection you will never find a perfect pastor. Exhibit A. <laughs> you will not find, and, and, and nor should we try to have a perfect pastor, but what we need to look for is consistency in these qualifications. A consistency that comes, it, it's a consistency of, of character or in character that you are to be looking for. These qualifications are to be fluid, they're to be flowing, they're to be active in the overseer's life on a regular basis. Paul gave Titus a list, just like he gave Timothy a list. A similar list. And you can go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and and look at these, these lists. But this list was to be a template to scrutinize the potential leader, bishop, overseer, i.e. pastor. To scrutinize that. This template to, to scrutinize is just as important as when Paul wrote it and when Titus read it. It's just as important today. It is not to be changed, nor should it be changed with the times that we live in. And it would be easy for us to say, well, in this day and age, we can't afford to really hold up that same standard for people because it, could, it would disqualify a lot of good and gifted men. And I say, that's exactly why we should not change it or, 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 or lower the standard of what the God's Word says because I'd rather disqualify somebody than put somebody in, in place that's not qualified because of personal preference. But he says in verse 6, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Titus was to look for someone who was not sinless or perfect because he would never find him, but he says, look for someone who is blameless. And that word literally means men who are 
of unquestionable integrity and are irreproachable. Nothing can take hold of them. Nothing can stick to them. And it means that there is nothing in his life that Satan or someone outside the church can take hold of and accuse him or criticize or attack the church because of him. That's what blameless means, that, that, that nothing will stick. The, the, this verse is talking about this, this person's home life and how, is he, how he is to conduct himself at home. Because Paul said to Timothy, and I'll paraphrase, if a man can't rule his own house, how is he going to rule the house of God? And what he is saying is, he must give no ground for accusations. He must be above reproach or criticism. You see, a a pastor should be, or should not, or should never be caught up in scandals. He's a pastor, not a politician. He should be above reproach. He should have nothing to hide in his home life, in his his private life, in his church life. Those who answer the call as an elder must count the cost. That a pastor's home life His private life is not always separate or separated from his ministry life. Again, we're not talking perfection, but we are talking about consistency and character here. He is to be the husband of one wife. And that means that a pastor must not be divorced and remarried. Now, some would say, hold on there, quick draw. (laughs) That would disqualify a lot of men, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It would. And I think that's why he put it in there. Now, we we must and we should give account to what's happened in his B.C. days as before Christ days. We can give an account to that and say, well, all those things are passed away. Behold, all things are, are, are new. But there are still some churches who would still say no to that. And I respect that. And I know the other argument is that Paul meant that he could only be the, the husband of, as, of one wife at a time. No, that's not what the commentaries and most commentators, they're very consistent on, on this. He, he didn't mean that. And I think that would prevent pastors from divorcing and remarrying, making a habit of it. And so, again, this is a very serious call. But he says, having faithful children, and the Amplified puts it this way, those whose children are well-trained and are believers, not open to the accusations of being loose in morals and conduct or unruly and disorderly. That the man who answers the call to be an elder needs to have his house in order because his family is his first ministry, before ministry even, before this vocation. Now, understanding all the while that children will make their own decisions for Christ, but the elder has not been negligent in laying down the foundation for his family. Again, people, 
kids, kids will make their own their own minds up for Christ, and some might not. But that does not, I believe, doesn't disqualify the guy if he has not been negligent in 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 coming alongside and, and laying that foundation for his children. Verses eight and nine. Here, here we have the, 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 the qualifications, the, the list, if you will, that if anyone desires uh, to be in ministry or being in ministry someday, then pay close attention to what this calling looks like in the church, in the church and, and for those around you that they're going to be looking at. And for, again, the, the, the rest of you who, who do not desire to be in ministry like this, and besides, and, and it's okay that if you don't want to, that, that's okay. Not everybody's called to that. But this is what a pastor, an elder, an overseer should look like. He says, for a bishop must be blameless. It, it's not a matter of should be or try to be blameless. It's a matter of he must be blameless. He must be above reproach on a consistent basis. As a steward of God, a steward does not own but manages all that his master puts in his hands. He owns nothing. Everything is somebody else's. That's who we are. We're a steward. You're not my sheep, even though I would call you my sheep. You are the Lord's sheep. I don't own you. You're a master. Your master is Jesus, not me. But it is important... The, 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 the important part of a steward is that, that his characteristic is that he is faithful. He is faithful to, to his master to do what it takes to take care of the people that he's been entrusted with. And it is all for his good and for his glory, not, not his own. A, a, a shepherd, a, an overseer like this, does not own anything. It is not for his own personal gain. It says, not self-willed, not overbearing to the point of being arrogant. He, he, he can't be the type that has to have it his own way all the time. He can't be that. He must be one who understands that he is a leader, not a dictator. Not quick-tempered. He is able to handle people with their faults, even. He is to, to keep a cool head in difficult situations. He's not one who flies off the handle. Someone once said, temper is such a wonderful thing, it's a shame that you would lose it. <laughs> it's good to be temperate. Not given to wine. This describes a person who sits long with the cup. And drinks to excess. There is no room, none whatsoever, for a pastor who drinks. It could and will lead to other things that will bring a pastor down. And guys, I've seen way too much of that. Oh, a little here, a little there, and pretty soon it destroys the man. Because it, it leads to other things. It, 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 it brings his senses down. And he compromises. And so for a pastor, should not drink. And I know what some of you guys might be thinking. Wait a minute. Didn't Paul tell Timothy to use a little wine for his tummy? Yeah, he did. But you know what? We have medicine for all that now. 
so you don't even have to go there. <laughs> Not violent. That would be kind of funny if I came in like all jacked up and like had another ballroom brawl last night, guys. Didn't see any of you guys there. You guys should have been there to help me. He is not a fighter. He is not contentious. Not even biblically getting in fights just to to win. Charles Spurgeon told his pastor's uh, college students, don't go about the world with your fists doubled up for fighting, carrying a theological revolver in the leg of your trouser. A, a, a pastor even, he, he, he doesn't have to fight biblically. He just needs to lay it out. Lay out the truth, man. People can take it or leave it. He's not to be greedy for money. He's not to be grasping for financial gain. His heart is for God, for His Word, and for His people. Not what He can get from them. If your focus is financial gain, do not get into the ministry. Don't do it. For one, well, again, we have these, these stigmas, man, these guys that are rich and famous and stuff, and it's like, whatever. Normal pastors <laughs> will probably never be rich, which is okay, because that's not why you get into the money. I remember when, my dad, when I told my dad that I was leaving my company, or the company that I was working for, and he used to work for that company. And he had some, a few choice words for me when I told him that I was leaving, I clean it up. Kind of like you're a stupid idiot. Basically, you can throw some explosives or whatever you can throw in there. He says they're not going to pay you what they used to what you're getting paid over here. I said, "Dad, if it was about the money, I wouldn't be doing this." <laughs> but if just in case if financial gain comes while in the ministry, don't let it distract you. I would say, hey, use it for the, for the ministry. Throw more money into the ministry if you want. He has to be hospitable. Now, it doesn't mean just having people over to your house or being nice to your friends. It literally means loving the stranger. And that was an important ministry back then in the early church because there was a lot of traveling believers that they just didn't have, you know, hotels here and there, you know, or whatever. They were always full anyways. No room in the ends. But um, but anyways, um, and they needed a place to stay, and so you have to be hospitable. It, it's good to make a stranger feel comfortable in your presence. It really is. They end up becoming your friends. And I have a motto. I don't know if I've shared it with you lately. I have a motto that says, strangers are just friends that you haven't met yet. I'll make a friend with anybody. Because it never hurts to be hospitable. The Amplified puts this portion of, of Scripture, verse 8, like this. But he must be hospitable, loving, and a friend to believers, especially to strangers and foreigners. He must be a lover of goodness, of good people and good things, sober-minded, sensible, discreet, upright, and fair-minded, a devout man, and religiously correct, temperate and keeping himself in hand. 
These are the these are a must in a man who is going to answer the calls. An elder is a pastor. An elder is to make every effort to do this. He must be, uh, or this must be a manner of life for him. That's the way he conducts himself. This is who people know, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. They know who this guy is and that he's upright. An elder or a pastor represents God. And if he damages his own reputation, he ends up damaging God's reputation. Because a pastor is to represent God to the people. There is a stricter judgment that comes with it. (laughs) In verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. He is to hold fast. I'm talking death grip here. He is to hold fast like super glue to, to the truthful, the faithful word of God and not take his hands off of it because that's what he teaches. This, this, is, this, is, our, this, this is our tool. I used to have trawls that I used to, used to trawl with. Now this is my tool. This is what I work with. Every day. I love it. This is what a pastor should do. Then again, I would say, this is what all Christians should be doing. (laughs) This is your tool too. We just get to explain it. You don't have to be in ministry to do the work of a minister. Because we're all called to share the gospel. And what makes the word faithful, trustworthy, sure? It's because God, who cannot lie, holds His Word above His name. That's how important the, the Word is. An elder is one who has been taught. And it means that he is willing to learn continuously to be a learner, which means to be a disciple. And the ministry is twofold in his learning. He is to equip and build the saints up in the church with sound doctrine, with healthy doctrine. And he is also to refute and come against those who contradict and oppose sound doctrine. He is to protect the church. He doesn't have to argue with people. He has to, he has to stand firm. He's be, he, he, he should be able to lay out the truth. An overseer, an elder, should be able to do both of these. Should this apply to those who are not pastors as well? Absolutely. We should all be ready to give a reason for our defense. Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Guys, I have known Gary Poor for 20 some years. (laughs) We have served in a lot of different areas and I am honored to be able to, to, to just have him as, as my friend, as my brother. He's a confidant. He's someone that I respect and I highly admire. I love sitting under him when he's teaching. 
He has probably the most warped sense of humor that I know. Because you never know when he's like kidding sometimes. He throws you off. He is quite different than I am in a lot of ways. And that's what I need. I didn't need another me. I don't think you guys can handle another me. I needed someone who was opposite than me. I needed someone who, who, who would not be afraid to challenge me. And he's not. Not to be disrespectful or anything. He understands. But he's not afraid to call me on, on things that he needs to. Or to challenge even some of my decisions. He's not afraid to do that. And I admire that of him. I'd, I'd rather that he rebuke me <laughs> than give me a fake kiss. Not that he would ever. <laughs> Proverbs tells us about that. And so he, he, he's a man that I've watched, <clears throat> that I've been around for many, many years. I've been privileged to do weddings for his family and to do funerals for his family. I've seen his kids grow up in our church. I've seen, I've seen this man's character. <clears throat> he retired a year ago. And he told me, he says, when I retire, I want to spend time at the church. I want to, I, I want to, I want to come alongside more. And he has. I mean, we're getting him cheap. We're paying nothing for him. <laughs> he says, man, they're paying me not to go to work, Zeke. So my wife wants me out of the house. I don't blame her. Just kidding. But he serves here. He comes and he, and he spends time with... And, and, and here's, here's where I'm at. Man, I feel bad sometimes because like, Gary, I don't want to take away from your retirement. He says, Zeke, this is what I want to do. But see, he's been doing that for a while. <laughs> he's been serving. He's been teaching you. He has a heart for you, man. I see his heart as a pastor. And so I am honored, man. And I'm going to call him up to come up right now. And if my elders are out there, board members, um, come on up. And we're just going to lay hands on him. I don't know exactly how this works, except that we've been praying for this for a long time. <laughs> 